Welcome to the Boise Turnkey presents the Turnkey Brothers podcast, episode 11. We have Mike McClure, real estate lawyer, and this is not legal advice. Yeah, we're so excited to have him on today, guys, because he talks about LLCs, he talks about leases, and he talks about what's important for each one and why you would do it. And then he also lays out the foundation on how to start that process to begin with. So we're so excited for you guys to check him out. And stay till the end because there's a couple horror stories you won't want to miss. All right, welcome back to this next episode. Uh, today we bring on Mike McClure. He's a real estate lawyer. He practices law and they specialize in real estate. One of the reasons why we wanted to have somebody like him on today is because I like to give the doctor analogy. If you're trying to have brain surgery, you want a brain surgeon to do that. If there's something wrong with your foot, you need a foot surgeon. So Mike McClure is here today to talk specifically about real estate and how he can help in the, the real estate field. With that being said, Mike, tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, how you came to where you are and, and what it is you guys do. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And uh, basically just to kind of go back to schooling, I went out to a law school in Kansas and uh, focused on transactional and small business uh, certificate and just emphasizing that arena. And then I uh, went on and got a master's of law at the University of Georgia. So a little shout out for uh, soon to be national champions here. Um, <laughs> but uh, basically, um, from there, came back to Idaho to uh, practice law. And uh, for the past uh, seven years, I have uh, primarily focused on transactional work uh, and everything uh, focused around real estate transactions, um, business formations, uh, even estate planning and creating trust. But again, with the basis being real estate. So, Mike, what drove you to transactional law? Um, you know, you, you hear all the, the litigation horror stories, and don't get me wrong, I've been involved in my fair share of litigation and handling those types of cases as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, uh, I get lost in detail. And so I think that's very beneficial when you're talking about transactional work and having been involved in litigation as well. Um, you come across things that you see that, oh, okay, if only they had done A, B, or C, then maybe we wouldn't be in litigation. And so you carry that over into the transactional practice. And, uh, and you know, the goal is to make sure that, uh, you know, you dot all the I's, cross all the T's so that, you know, you don't have any issues. Yeah, it's almost more like uh, preventative than on the back end, right? Absolutely. Yeah, cool. And so that's just kind of uh, fits in with my personality <laughs> <laughs> and how I like to do things. So so how did you, I love that. So how did you um, decide transactional law somewhere you wanted to be or even law in the first place? Well, you know, the, the irony behind it is uh, my undergrad is criminal justice and I even got a master's in uh, security management. And so that's kind of where I thought like gung ho, that's where I'm going to go is like, you know, criminal arena, you know, and, and uh, yeah, my first year of law school, my most boring classes were the criminal procedure and criminal <laughs> law classes. And I don't know if I just, you know, had overkill and just had enough. Um, so once I kind of discovered that, then I just kind of shifted gears and, and focused on the transactional side. Yeah. And are you so, happy looking back at um, going transactional rather than criminal? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with it. I just learned in law school that it wasn't me and uh, and just shifted gears, like I said. And, and yeah, I mean, where I'm at now and looking back, yeah, there really isn't anything I would change. Nice. That's really cool that you're able to identify like, oh, this was a dream of mine, but I don't know if it is. So let me 
try to transition and take all of this work that I've done up until now and not throw all that away, but still present it and transition it into something that I can actually enjoy. That that's a lot of years of study. Can can you tell us? Can you give us like a time frame of like how long it took to get to, you know, practicing for your first time? Yeah. So four years of undergrad, two years of masters, three years of the law degree, and then one year to focus on the masters of law. And so I know uh, at one point, uh, yeah. I mean, it was insane. Yeah. I got a lot of schooling. <laughs> yeah. And Ten then- years of dedication. And focus to do what ultimately you're doing today, which you love, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 What uh, what brought you to Idaho? So when I graduated, um, I went to Southern Utah University, met my wife there, graduated, got a job opportunity, and they said, do you want to go to our Boise office? And I said, why not? And uh, my wife is actually, uh, she moved here when she was four and graduated from Meridian High. Oh, nice. okay. And uh, so, you know, it just kind of worked out that way, and I fell in love with it here. And so... When we went off for law school, we knew we were coming back. Nice. So you're going to be Idaho for your Idaho is for life. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Team Idaho. <laughs> it's <laughs> team pretty Idaho. great. Yep. It's pretty great. Yeah. yeah absolutely. absolutely. Um, what What are some common things that come up in, in your scope, in your field? Yeah. So, I mean, probably the most common thing is people want to save a buck. Mm-hmm. And so they just rush off and they get whatever uh, lease agreement they find online or maybe they met someone and they're like, hey, what do you use? And, and you know, they get a lease that has been watered down, passed from one person to the next to the next with yeah. all this okay. randomness. And Okay, so Mike, I'm feeling a little personally attacked here. So <laughs> <laughs> for a uh, personal story, um, yeah, I had, I had a lease issue where I had to evict a tenant and I found out that my lease was watered down, as you would say, and I was kind of in a bind. And Mike was able to help me out of the... You know, we had a clear um, a clear path we could take legally, but it wasn't the best path. And you helped advise me on like, not that we did anything illegal. It was just a one-on-one conversation with me and the tenant of saying like, hey, this is the path we can go, but it's going to hurt you in the future if we go that way because an eviction always looks bad for the tenant. Um, and kind of on the bro level, get him to move out in a quicker manner of time that because I wasn't as protected in my lease. Uh, so, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. <laughs> and, yeah, now that you ratted yourself out, I, I certainly wasn't uh, <laughs> going down that path. But but one thing you have to, to take into mind is, yeah, you know, when you do have a lease, I mean, you, you kind of have to live with what's in that lease, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, legally, yes, there's certain avenues that can be taken. You can get yourself out of a jam. Sometimes it's prettier than others. Um, sometimes it's cheaper, sometimes more expensive, you know, uh, but, uh, in all reality, there's alternatives, right? So like in your situation, uh, since you brought it up, uh, is that basically, you know, you have a situation where, um, you know, you could do a, B and C and it'll take care of the problem. Right. But what are the alternatives? Like you talked about, you know, just go reaching out to the tenant and just saying, Hey, look, here's my option. And here's what I'm going to have to do if we can't resolve this. And in your case, it was great that the tenant said, yeah, you're right. And, and you resolved it perfectly. Uh, again, sometimes not so clean, yeah. but at least uh, at least you went into that situation from a resolution standpoint, knowing what you were able to do. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that's... And frankly, I mean, going through you and, and achieving that option was the cheaper option, even though you're a professional, you know, I could have gone through and 
um, evicted him and having to pay court fees and whatnot. But all I had to do was present it to you, uh, pay you for your letterhead, essentially, and then to contact my tenant and tell him, like, hey, this is a legal matter. It has been escalated. He, your, My client will escalate it your client being me, will escalate it to an eviction. We don't want to see that for anybody involved. Um, and frankly, I mean, that was a fraction of the cost of it, what it would have cost me to actually evict him. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, you run the risk that it didn't work and then you do have to incur those costs. But right. again, at the same time, in your situation, it made perfect sense mm-hmm. to at least give it a shot, right? I mean, you were on that path regardless. And, uh, we could have just gone straight into, uh, you know, the eviction, but, uh, again, just the time, if nothing else, you know, money aside, right. The, the time of, you know, yeah. having this tenant still in your home and the, and the risks that were involved with having them there, mm-hmm. um, just kind of would have compounded the situation, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like to use the analogy of insurance. <clears throat> so maybe it's car insurance, homeowners insurance, health insurance, that's that's essentially what you are to let's say the real estate world uh, when it comes to matters like this because it it is a cost upfront mm-hmm. you know to get something professionally done but that's the insurance that you paid for so that when the big thing happens you know you're covered because if you get like a watered down lease or or you just grab something off the internet you know and you think you're covered because I almost did that before mm-hmm. I came to you um, it's it's that insurance policy that you that you invest in yourself and your business moving forward so that when the big thing does happen, you know, you know, you've got the law on your side and, and a team around you that's going to support you. Right. Yeah. And just not knowing what you don't know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing too, um, basically what it boils down to is sometimes you do find yourself in front of a judge, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like, who are these judges? What are things that they look for and are likely to cause problems for you if they, you know, see something about like, well, I don't like this term of the lease. And so I'm not going to you know, give, I mean, I hate saying this, but judges can do some crazy stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how did that hang this up? Uh, one one uh, client that I had um, had a had a tenant point blank say, I am not paying rent, and I am not leaving. Right? And so, I mean, the look on your face says it all. And uh, and so, what happened is that the, this. Uh, uh, Landlord went and started the process on his own, um, and uh, and then discovered that since it was with an LLC, that he couldn't appear um, on behalf of his own LLC because you need to have a license to practice in front of the judge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he came to us after he started everything, and what he had done wrong is he issued that three-day notice two days before rent was due. Mm. So the rent wasn't due yet. Judge picks up on that. Mm-hmm. He didn't like that because how can you give a three-day notice to pay rent if they're not delinquent, right? right? It wasn't even due yet. Yeah. So I made the argument that, Judge, look, this was anticipated breach. They, they don't even deny it. They told my client point blank, we are not paying rent. We are not leaving. And I'm like, and we are well past the time frame when rent was due. We're past the three-day notice. Like, you know, we're a couple of weeks beyond that date now. And, uh, oh, and the judge did not have any of that. Yeah. <laughs> he did not, he was not happy with me that I'd make that anticipated breach. Um, even though it's a legal concept mm-hmm. and it's, it's a valid, um, <laughs> it's a valid thing. Um, he, he just didn't want to, he didn't want to see it because he didn't want to, um, evict a, a tenant, um, based on anticipated breach. 
Uh, long story short, we reset it. They showed up to court the next time 20 minutes late, and so we got a default judgment against them anyway, and they were evicted. So, I mean, but it, but it was a setback, right? And mm-hmm. it was more money, and, you right. know, it was just... So those are the types of things you kind of have to watch out for is, like, what's the proper pr- procedure? What What's the timing of it all? What can I do? What notices do I need to give? Is this notice even effective? Um, and, and so, you know, you're just at a point where, you know, we rolled the dice because the judges here, they make us mediate um, in an eviction setting. Mm-hmm. And so I told my client, like, hey, if we can reach an agreement with them, then, then you know, we can avoid this possible disaster um, because I had identified it before uh, going to court and going in front of the judge and uh, thought I was prepared with the anticipated <laughs> breach argument, right? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds good. <laughs> it does. And uh, But, uh, you know, um, client was told he knew the risk. He rolled the dice. He didn't want to reach an agreement. And so, you know, things happen. But, uh, but you got to know these things. And like you mentioned a minute ago, you don't know what you don't know. And, uh, and so that's why it's nice to be able to rely on, uh, a professional. And it's like me, you know, I know some things about tax, but I'm point blank, not a tax guy. And so sometimes my clients, especially the real estate and the formations of like, Hey, how should I structure this? And I want to do this. And is that going to benefit me tax wise? Mm. You know, I'm always up front and I say, look, send your tax guy to me. I'll coordinate with him. Let him know what we want to do. And, uh, and we'll make sure we're all on the same page so you don't get screwed over. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's okay. going back to like having the brain surgeon, the heart surgeon, the foot yeah. surgeon. You, know, yeah. you all have to talk together to make that the one product. But I, I love that because we're all about forming the rock star team and having yep. people around us that are smarter in their field or just smarter than that's not hard to do for me. But just having people around us that are smarter to send our clients to. So like you said, you can coordinate between you and the, or the CPA or the tax advisor and figure out the best route for the client to go to. And that that um, brings up so much possibility for the client to take that burden off their plate. And like, what is their time worth? Because the amount of time it took you 10 years to get where you're at, plus however long you've been practicing, it took the CPA probably, what, typically... We'll edit that out. <laughs> uh, took the CPA another, X amount of years. Yeah, X amount of years to get where he's at. Yeah. And the client would never get to that point without spending all that time, wasting all that time away from what he's, you know, maybe he's a construction guy or maybe he's an uh, underwater basket weaver or whatever his mechanism of making money is. He would have to draw time and attention away from that to go do your job and lo- learn your job and only learn it half as well at best and potentially get himself jammed up or herself. Yeah, that's huge. And I want to touch on one more thing uh, because you talked about all the behind the scene things that can happen as as a lawyer practicing in real estate and transactions. There's so many things that happen behind the scenes that we have no idea about. I mean, you just mm-hmm. gave a whole story about it and I was blown away that there is so many things involved. And that reminded me of like the realtor side because we're intimately familiar with the realtor side. Yeah, a client comes to us and they want to buy a home. And next thing they know, they find a home they like and they get it. But there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that happens right. on the real the, the agents side on getting that home for them. So having somebody on on your side that's going to fight that fight um, is super important. Yeah, like I had a, a a recent client that we just got their house under contract, and I spent two days negotiating with them uh, with sorry with the listing agent. Uh, to present them a counter offer that made sense for all parties. And so they could just sign it and be happy about it. 
um, and the seller could be happy about it and the listing agent could be happy about it. Uh, and then I go and I immediately schedule their um, inspection and I start coordinating earnest money and I start doing all this stuff in the background so the clients don't have to deal with that. So all I have to do is present them with structured news and updates rather than giving them problems to solve because I know how to solve these problems and they don't need to deal with what I'm dealing on a daily basis. They just need to know how it's going and give me a yes or no if they accept those terms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so you guys know as well, like when you start getting into the addendums, right? Yeah. And you start negotiating the, you know, the fine print that's outside of the RE21, mm -hmm. you know, and you got to, you know, be like, okay, this is what they want and this is how it's written. Does that give them what they want? Right. Is without, this, yeah, without making my client less secure in this contract. Absolutely, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, you got to, you know, you obviously have your client, you watch out for their best interests, and, and you got to make sure that uh, the things are done properly. And, and it's like, exactly right, you know, they make an offer, offer accepted. Next thing they know, they're showing up to, uh, to you know, they got the keys in their hand yeah. and they're going yeah. to their new home. Yeah, and they got their thumb drive with the five thousand documents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. and they're and they're set. They're yeah. into the home that you know you helped them find. And and yeah, they're they're not that they're clueless, but they just don't fully understand what went on to make that happen from point A to point Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have a lot of um, most of your day is spent in leases. Is that correct? Or you or you spend a lot of your day in with leases? Do you? cater leases to each individual tenant or each individual in woof, each individual client or do you have like a cookie cutter lease that you just hand out so yes and no yeah. yes and yes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly because i actually you know i i um there are provisions that i absolutely have to have in my leases mm -hmm. and so i know what those are and i make sure that those are included in the lease um, but I also have uh, very um, specific situations with property managers, and maybe they are mobile home parks. Mm -hmm. Whole new set of rules mm -hmm. that that govern uh, mobile home parks uh, when your tenant owns the the mobile home, and you know. And then there's some that uh, you know deal with duplexes, apartments, um, and uh, and I also point blank tell my uh, clients, um, hey. What are some of the issues that you've come across? So what are provisions that you have in your current lease that you are married to that you want me to incorporate? Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm always tailoring my leases to my specific client based on their needs, based on you know the extent of what they have in place already, um, what type of properties are uh, you know renting out, things, mm -hmm. things of that nature. Got it. Where there's definitely some nuances on to each specific side. Um, lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, what are some other things that you deal with typically day to day? Like what what are um, what are your days filled with? I guess. So I mean, being involved in transactional work, you know, like I've mentioned, estate planning, um, creating a lot of trust. I do business formation. Um, you know, assisting uh, individuals with getting their EIN, uh, setting up their LLC um, with the Secretary of State. Um, you know, we uh, uh, represent a lot of property management companies. So, you know, beyond just, hey, here's the lease that you need to have in place. 
you know, we're handling evictions, we're handling lease violation okay. notices, um, you know, notices to vacate. Um, the ugly side of it all is uh, occasionally um, fair housing complaints are made. Um, so, you know, we, we find ourselves assisting in that process, um, but primarily trying to keep them out of that situation to begin with. Yeah. Right. Um, and so uh, that that's a lot of what we do um, in regards to uh, the transactional side of things. Um, again, like I said, sometimes you find yourself in a, in a jam. Mm -hmm. uh, property management, they process a security deposit, right? Tenant unhappy with the amount they got back immediately they want to sue the world and mm -hmm. uh and you know they're they're told all oh, that this is a guaranteed win and so then you know uh, our clients find themselves in a situation where they're having to deal with a, a lawsuit and, and so you know we assist with that as well so you can't fully escape the the litigation yeah. side of it um and even right down to evictions and you know 30-day notices and somebody mm -hmm. doesn't leave then you have to go through the regular eviction uh, very um, typical of an actual lawsuit. You know, you got to serve them. You got to wait for them to respond. If they don't, then you can get a default judgment. But if they do respond, then you have to wait for the court to be like, okay, here's when we're going to have our scheduling conference. And so that that's to you know what we talked about initially with your case, right? Mm -hmm. the, the ugly side of it yeah. is you potentially could have got stuck with your tenant for months on end if he just flat out said, no, I'm not leaving. Mm -hmm. And and so. Um, that's that's always a joy. Yeah, you talked about a lot of things right there as far as why it's so important to have somebody on your side like you. And I want to talk about the elephant in the room because you mentioned it was forming an LLC. It's what everybody talks about. Oh, I'm in real estate. I got to make an LLC. And I would argue to say that that's not necessarily the case because you've already made the point that just having a great lease in place is going to protect you. Could you maybe give us a little more inside information on? Yes, maybe an LLC is is a right a good place to start, or maybe we just need to start with a lease, or maybe we need to start with something else, like you just mentioned, you know, to get you going. Because everybody always says, "Well, I have to start an LLC," and then it prevents them from ever starting to begin with. Okay, yeah, I see where you're coming from, and so let me ask you this: so uh, you're my landlord, and you own the property in your own individual name, right? Mm -hmm. So, what happens if this lease agreement? is between me and you personally and something happens who am i going after you're coming after me right right and so what's in place that will help um hedge your personal risk my lease agreement so yeah potentially you, yeah, i mean if you only have the lease agreement then it's only the lease agreement but if you have that llc then it's not your it's not your property it's well it's your property but it's not you they're coming after it's the company or the the limited liability company right so i know at the intro we're talking about how you know this is uh for general education purposes yeah. and can be construed as legal advice um this isn't creating an attorney uh, client relationship here but to get into more detail here so yes the lease is there to try to protect you right right but let's say you did something outside of that lease you did something you shouldn't have done, right? Okay. Let's say you had that lease, but you didn't really know what was in that lease. And so you did something that, let's say, for example, ended up being a self-help eviction. So now you have this lease where you are a party to it individually. You did something wrong, contrary to the law, that the lease is not going to save you from. Hmm. 
and even if the lease is good, right, and it's questionable as to whether or not you did a self-help eviction, it still exposes you to that liability, right? Now, an LLC, when properly formed, is going to be, it's recognized legally as a separate entity. It's the LLC. It's not you. And so the LLC is the party to the lease, right? And if something was done wrong or contrary to the law, and that's how the judge sees it, and there's a judgment, that judgment is is against the LLC, not against you individually. So there's there's definitely some benefit of wanting to have an LLC in place simply because it does hedge risk, much like an insurance policy, right? A lot of people are like, well, I got my insurance policy. It's, you know, it's an umbrella. And hey, that's great. I do advise that you do that. Um, because again, it's another layer of protection if something were to go wrong. Um, and so uh, it's like, okay, uh, why, why would you not want that extra protection, right? Yeah. Why would if, you not wear a seatbelt or a helmet if, on a motorcycle right. or something like that? Exactly. I was going to say, yeah. if there's a blizzard outside, I'm not going to go out in this jacket and say, well, I got a jacket because mm-hmm. this jacket would not do me any good in a blizzard, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I will say case by case basis, right? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, and so I understand too, that, that somebody might get hung up on, on that stage and not ever get started. But let me tell you, um, you know, it, it's it's a straightforward process. It can be done. It's not time consuming. Yeah. It's not super expensive, um, and and so really, it shouldn't be anything that holds you up. So, how easy is it to make an LLC? Can you walk us through that? Like, yeah, I mean, basically, a lot of it is just you know, okay, is this name available, right? Okay, and let me go through the steps, the process of getting um, everything formed and reported to the Secretary of State. They process the application. Everything checks out. They approve the filing. You then can go and get an EIN for that approved LLC, um, you know, through the IRS. Um, again, very basic online application. Um, and uh, but really, the key is you want to make sure that you have an operating agreement in place. The operating agreement isn't anything that gets filed with the Secretary of State. It's your internal governing document that. Um, outlines uh, what um, day-to-day decisions are being made, um, who's the member of the um, LLC, because sometimes it's not a single-member LLC, right? Sometimes you have mm-hmm. partners, or maybe you start off as a single-member LLC, but uh, you want to eventually grow and you bring on uh, additional uh, members. But you know, if you already have the operating agreement in place, it's all outlined on what that process is going to look like to bring someone on board, once they're an additional member, you can amend the operating agreement, but you can you already have everything in place on the key decisions before you bring people on board. Um, and, and so there is more to just forming the LLC. Um, but, uh, but again, um, it's an inexpensive process that gives you that added layer of protection um, so you're not stuck in a blizzard in a jacket. Yeah. Okay, let's say the blizzard's outside, right? And I've got three properties. Uh, that I've not formed an LLC on, and I go and I, I do your steps like you said. I find a name. I send it to the Secretary of State. They send me an EIN. We do the operator's agreement. How then do how do I ensure that those properties are going into that LLC? Yeah, and furthermore, are you team lumping all those pro- properties together under one LLC or an individual LLC for each property? 
So that depends on how risk averse you are. I had a client that uh, had many properties and insisted on LLCs for each individual property. Um, but I have people that are like, well, that's a lot to manage. And, you know, basically, look, out of my 12 properties, I just want four LLCs and put three properties in each one, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the benefit of going through that whole process and maybe even having like a holding company that is the member of all the LLCs and then the LLC just owns whether it be one, two, or three properties, however the many properties that are going to go in there. Um, the whole point is that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. So if there's this catastrophic event that you find yourself liable for, your company's liable for, you don't want to just be like, okay, well now I'm down six properties. Yeah. Right. And so, um, there's a number of ways that you can structure it, but again, case by case basis, what makes sense for you? Um, you know, what other steps have been taken to protect yourself? Um, and and so it, it goes back to having that team around you. Who's your insurance guy? What are they doing for you? Are they talking to you about changes within, um, you know, policies? Um, you know, they have a, an obligation to you guys to say, Hey, look, you know, this is the policy you have in place, but if we maybe add this writer on here, like then you'd be extra protected against this issue or, you know, what, what's new in the industry. So even going back to what we do a lot of times, okay, look, there's new language that they want added into these, uh, three day notices. You get these clients that come in, they're like, well, yeah, I've already served them a three day notice. And then you find out like, well, maybe the, from five years ago, that would have been good. <laughs> so then you have to kind of catch those things beforehand. Um, but it's best to, uh, you know, if, if you can catch them beforehand, that's best. Right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're catching them after the fact and then you got to kind of work with it. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And I wanted to define one thing, uh, that I just remembered you use the term self-help eviction. Can you just define that? Yeah. I get asked a lot like, Hey, can I just change the locks? Yeah. Or Hey, can I just throw the stuff on the curb? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, please don't. (laughs) And and so, you know, that, that's what I'm referring to. Um, even right down to a case that I had where, uh, the tenants agreed, Hey, if you don't evict us, we'll be out. And, and I, and it was relatively quick. They're like, we already have a moving truck. We'll be out in like three days. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, my client was in the area managing one of his other properties and saw that they were moving out. And he thought, well, hey, I got my equipment right here. I can just see if they'll let me change the locks. They gave him the green light. Go ahead, yeah, change the locks. We're, we're almost done. Well, the second uh, he changed the locks, they didn't leave. And so when we sent the sheriff out with the written hand uh, from the court saying, yes, you can remove them, um, it was <laughs> the, the sheriff said, well, look, you changed the locks on them. I'm not going to enforce this writ you helped yourself to an eviction. And so we had to like go back to the court and say, Hey, can you issue a new writ? And, uh, and so it was probably about almost two weeks longer that they stayed in the property just because the sheriff interpreted that act of changing the lock as a self-help. It blows my mind that the people who are staying there, the tenants would know or have the whereabouts to, you know what, now I'm just going to stay because he changed the locks. You would be surprised. It's wild. People know. Yeah, it's wild to me that a lot of, 
I don't want to say criminals, but a lot of people who are doing misdeeds are on the other side of the law, know the law better than law-abiding citizens who want to do the right thing and have all the intent in the world of doing the right thing. But because there's these mischievous people out there that learn the law enough to get around it, because those people exist, we need people like you to protect us so we don't have to put our brains in a criminal's head. Well, and and the thing is too, I mean, because there's certain um, safeguards that we put into agreements when a tenant wants to avoid an eviction. And so without getting into too many details, in this particular scenario, they agreed to be out quick to avoid the eviction, but we made a, made it a point in our um, agreements that says, look, you know what, if, if you're not out, well, look, we're not going to have to like go back to court and do A, B, and C, and we, we don't want to have to refile and do all that. So they actually agreed to an automatic judgment for eviction if they didn't comply. So even though we had to go through the fiasco of getting the court to reissue uh, a writ, we were able to get the judgment in the first place because of what they did, right? Okay. So they didn't get out. Yes, the sheriff said, well, you know, the issue is, you know, you changed the locks. But, you know, we just informed the court, look, they they weren't out like they said. So then the judge gave us the um, judgment and the writ. That's when the sheriff refused to enforce the writ. And, uh, and he said, get a new writ, then I'll do it. And so that was where the delay was. But, you know... Um, after years of practice, you know, you find that, hey, there's the safety nets that you need to have in place. Now the courts, when they enforce uh, the mediation on the parties, now it's actually just built into every agreement. Um, So we don't have to make it a point to say, hey, if you don't comply, then you will be evicted. It's actually just part of the agreements now. So at least the courts are realizing this. And even though they mandate these agreements, they they actually have that language in in every agreement now. So mm. this is why it's so important to have the the mics in your life on your team. Yeah, and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, um, I want to go back to the LCs though because yes. we kind of got uh, off track and yeah. talked about self self help evictions. <laughs> um, uh, you asked the question, how many should I put into mm-hmm. an LC? And I'd like to know how do you even get properties in an LC, or is there other things that you can put in an LC other than just property? Tell me more about that. Right. So uh, an LLC is just like a, its own legal entity, right? It's a yeah. separate being, if you will. And so, um, you know, you, how do you get property in your own name? It, it appears on the deed, right? Yeah. Right? And so if you own property in your own name, you do have to go through the steps of uh, just transferring that um, property into an LLC. Um, majority of the time, it's through a basic quick claim deed. Um, now... Sometimes there's lender situations, and we all know about the due on sell clause that if you transfer property, then your lender can come and call the note due. Mm-hmm. Um, some lenders freak out if you put it into an LLC. So, you know, uh, the, the safest approach there would just be to reach out to your lender and say, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. This is a rental property. It's always been a rental property. I'm looking to put it into an LLC. And Nine times out of ten, you'll get the green light to go ahead and do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that seems pretty straightforward, especially if, you, if you've if you got somebody like you on your side to help see that process through, I imagine. I, absolutely. And and let's say worst case scenario, your lender says, look, if you do that, then we will call the note due. Because you see that from time to time with smaller lenders. Um, they don't want 
property's being transferred, they want you on the hook and they just don't feel comfortable doing that. Worst case scenario, you still have your LLC set up so that even if you own this property in your own name, um, the LLC can be the property manager. So on that lease, uh, you may have like the tenant looks at it and they just say, okay, well, I, I only have an agreement with the property manager, this LLC. Right. And so, um, they may not know to like, oh, well, I should look to see who owns this property. Gotcha. So there's that. And then plus we talked about insurance, right? Make sure you have a proper insurance policy in place so that if something happens and you need insurance to kick in to help cover something, then, you know, it's it either takes care of the blow or at least softens the blow. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, there's, again, case by case, you just got to figure out what's going on, what lender's going to allow you to do. But the the point being is, you get an LLC to own the property by transferring it via deed. Totally. Okay, so um, follow-on question. The maintenance of an LLC, what's required annually? Are there fees associated? Am I meeting quarterly? Because um, I'm sure there's there's other entities other than just LLCs, corporations, S-corps, all those kind of things. Um, can you talk a little more about maintenance of companies? Right, so corporations tend to have more of the formalities. Um, where, you know, uh, as if you're, you know, responsible and responding to shareholders, things of that nature. Um, an LLC, um, it's less strict when it comes to the formalities. But um, you do want to make sure that you're following formalities to maintain that separation between you individually and your LLC. Because if you start blending the two together, like commingling assets, mm-hmm. um, you know, treating the LLC as if it's your personal piggy bank, uh, like those are the types of things that, you know, someone could say, well, yes, there's an LLC, but you know, really it's you. Yeah. So you want to avoid those things. And so some of the things is, yeah, go ahead. And uh, every year you have to file an annual report with the secretary of state to keep your LLC active. So you need to do that. So what I tell my clients is, Hey, at the same time, you're sitting down to do your annual report, have like a meeting <laughs> Right? Even if it's just a single member and you're meeting with yourself, just kind of assess what's going on with the company. There's changes that you know you need to make or you know some big decisions. Like have this meeting and and hold and and keep meeting minutes. Right, so it's documented what was uh, you know discussed during this meeting, and uh, and then um, you know keep that in your corporate books. Right. It establishes that, like, look, hey, the LLC has its own bank account. When there's decisions being made, it's discussed in an annual meeting. Annual reports are being kept up to date so the LLC doesn't get dissolved administratively by the Secretary of State. So we're in good standing with the state to conduct business. And, uh, oh, and by the way, anytime that decisions were made, whether to be, bring on a, a new member or to buy additional properties or to finally get around to, um, you know, just, uh, you know, expanding or creating more LLCs, right? Um, you know, things of that nature, you, you can have that documented. So if it ever comes into question that, oh, hey, you're just an alter ego to, you know, to the company, you can say, no, here, I kept the formalities. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's there's some upkeep on, a, on an LLC. I'm not going to say there's not. But, yeah, totally. But I mean, it's so minimal when you think of the benefits yeah. um, to having an LLC in place. Okay, Are so- there um, 
do you see typical things that happen that uh, the secretary secretary of state would dissolve an LLC? Because I could imagine, like, if we had an LLC on a property and we just forgot about it, it might get dissolved. Would that be correct in saying? Yeah, absolutely. So if you don't file your annual report, it's almost like you just abandoned the LLC, okay. right? Like, oh, well, I, I'm not, re you know, I'm not submitting this annual report to the Secretary of State to let them know, hey, still here, still want to be in good standing, still want to stay registered. And so if you're late, then um, you have a 60-day window to, to get that annual report um, filed. Um, if you don't do it, then that's when they'll kick in and say, hey, look, your LLC has been administratively dissolved. And uh, you would then have to go in and, uh, and file a reinstatement. That costs you money. But more importantly, and I just came across this, um, somebody came to me and said, hey, I got to move stuff out of this LLC because we didn't file the annual report. It was dissolved. And when I went to reinstate, they actually issued my company name, to a new applicant. Oh. And so, yeah, we had to update lease agreements. We had to transfer properties from his old LLC into his new LLC. Gosh. And, and so, um, I mean, yeah, you, you, you want to make sure you're staying up to date, but if you're, if you know you have to do that annually and you're doing your annual meeting, I mean, it's just have a set time that you just put it on your calendar once a year, you sit down and do it. Yep. I got to so, call myself out on that. I was in that 60-day window this past year because uh, the date completely blew by us. We, we completely <laughs> forgot about it. But fortunately, we were in that 60-day window right. that you were talking about. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this is totally rabbit hole. But talking about commingling funds, does it work both ways? So let's say I have a rental property and it's crushing. But my tenants are coming to the end of their lease and they're not going to renew. And then, you know, worst case scenario, the water heater goes out or I need to replace the HVAC or the roof or what have you. So all the money that property has accrued goes towards that, whatever that problem is to fix that. But now I can't make my mortgage with that mon that property's money because it just went towards the, the roof and I haven't put another tenant in place while it's being fixed or what have you. Right. Um, can I put my own money or even money from another property or another LLC into that? Can it can it borrow money and then pay it back? How does that work? Yeah, it can certainly borrow money, okay. right? Just like any individual goes out and takes a loan. If you had a credit card um, in the company name and uh, instead of taking all your uh, liquid uh, funds, mm -hmm. uh, you let's say you pay for the roof with on a credit card, right? Okay. Then that way, I mean, you can avoid the whole issue of being undercapitalized um, right. and not having uh, funds there. But let's say worst case scenario, yeah, you went ahead and just used the cash. Now you can't operate, right? Mm -hmm. But you can certainly take a loan, whether it's a loan uh, from the company to you mm -hmm. um, or, you know what I mean, company taken out a loan from you right? Um, or from a lender or another third party. The key there is just a document that, hey, there's this loan in place this is what was borrowed and here's the terms of the payback. So with that, the terms of the payback, can there be interest insinuated on that? So if I give my company $5,000, can I say, okay, but you're going to have to pay that back within six months and you give me $6,000? So, yeah, I mean, the key there would be, to your point, is an arm's length transaction, mm -hmm. right? When you borrow yeah. money, it's very common that you have to pay interest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I would almost tell you, yes, 
that you should absolutely charge interest to the company when you loan them money because you're just showing that, hey, look, this is arm's length. I'm not just throwing cash around. Got it. Nice. Well, we talked about LLCs. We talked about companies. We talked about leases. Is there anything that you can think of that you'd find super important that you would want to get out to our listeners that, that, um, that may help them out? Yeah, I'm just going to reiterate what we've been talking about, which is surround yourselves with people that know what's going on. Um, and I'm not insinuating that, that you know. It's anyone no, in this room? <laughs> that it's anyone in this room <laughs> or that it's you, the specific listener to this. Um, because, yeah, you may be experienced and you may know stuff and, and what have you. But at the end of the day, things are updated within the industry. You need to know what's going on. It's always good to revisit your lease to see if anything is applicable or not. Um, you know, we we come across people that say, well, okay, we have this parent company that works out in Washington, and now we're, we've expanded. We're here in Idaho, and I'm still seeing lease agreements that base everything off of Washington law. <laughs> I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Um, and, you know, some people, they have a lease that say, that, uh, you know, if you default and don't pay rent, then we're going to give you a 10-day notice. Well, the law only requires a three-day notice. And so, you know, if we're talking to them, we haven't reviewed the lease, and we're telling them, hey, typically, three-day notice, there you go. And then so they do that, and then they finally get the lease over to us, and we're like, well, you're giving them 10 days. Mm-hmm. So this three-day notice is no good. Scratch that. Now we can, you know, we'd have to go back and convert it to a 10-day pay or quit. And, uh, and, and, you know, they had no clue that that's what their lease said. So I'm just going to drive home the fact that you got to have a good lease, but more importantly, or just as important, if you will, like you have to know what that lease says, because, you know, if you're giving them more than what the law requires, we're going to have to go buy the lease. So, awesome. Yeah. And okay, real quick. Um, how do you, how do you, uh, what is the word? Grant, uh, not grant, but give uh, eviction. Y'all have to edit this. Sorry, man. What is that word? So like start? Serve, serve, serve. serve Okay. How do you serve an eviction? So that I'm glad you asked that because that is really important. When it comes to the three-day notice, a landlord or a landlord's agent can serve that three-day notice to pay or quit. It's when an eviction has been filed with the court Mm -hmm. and the documents come back for service to the tenant, that's when you need a third party that has no affiliation with um, the property manager. Um, so like you couldn't give it to like, uh, you know, somebody that works for your company and mm-hmm. say, hey, go go give this to the tenant because, you know, what, what they're trying to avoid is the impropriety, right? That, oh, I did serve them. Yeah. They just mm-hmm. didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Because you would have an interest in them not showing up, right? Right. And and so uh, we have a process server that we've worked with for years. Um, very reasonable uh, cost, lower than most uh, places that I've come across. And uh, and as soon as we get those documents back from the court, they immediately go out and say, "Hey, go ahead and serve the tenant on you know with with these documents," and uh, and and they're great. But that's the way you'd want to do it. But but to your point. The distinction there is a three-day notice, it's okay mm-hmm. if it's you that gives that notice. But when it comes to serving court documents, it has to be a third party. Okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And then uh, just our last question, if any, if this has sparked any questions in somebody else that wasn't quite answered on the short 45 minutes or however long we went, uh, how can people reach out to you? 
Yeah, so uh, my direct line is uh, 208-207-7384. Go ahead and use that number. Give me a call. Um, Don't be weird, okay? (laughs) Turnkey family, don't be weird. Yeah, and you can always reach out to us too, and we can get you in touch with Mike. Um, But you mentioned the company that you work for as well. Yeah, Uh, so the company is uh, BWL.legal. Um, and so, uh, we have some exciting stuff going on where, uh, we're actually, um, merging if it's okay to say that. Um, so, uh, you know, that's why I just gave my direct line because, yeah. uh, you know, again, um, you can reach me directly and, uh, and we can, uh, proceed with whatever help you need, um, regardless of, of the, the ultimate name that we end up with. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Is that going to be it? The ultimate law <laughs> there you go yeah that's like a little sneak peek <laughs> <laughs> yeah well when it comes to serving your clients especially in the real estate sector that's awesome you guys are bringing a surgical's knife a surgeon's knife into the real estate world and i love that about you guys and we use you personally i know you use them personally um and you guys are always just been a pleasure to work with and it's nice having a rock star like you guys on our team well i appreciate that and we try our very best to not only do what's in our client's best interest but also to explain Hey, this is what we're going to do, and here's why. Yep. And and so, you know, by giving them that that knowledge, you know, it empowers them to know more of what they can do in terms of managing their property management company or or their rental properties um, if, if they just manage manage them directly. Um, but yeah, it's all about just you know education. Yeah, love yep. that. Education well, mitigates risk. It does. Mike, thanks for coming on. And for those those listeners out there, seek your own lawyer for your own for their own advice. Um, and yeah, we'll catch you guys next time. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Hey everyone, we're the Turnkey Brothers, and thanks for tuning in with us today. Don't forget to smash our algorithm with those likes, subscribes, and sharing it with someone you think would benefit from this episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platforms at Turnkey Brothers.